Slate Plus members, it's survey time, which means it's your chance to tell us what you think about Slate, Slate Podcasts, and Slate Plus. It'll only take a few minutes. You can find it at slate.com slash survey. Hello, Prudy listeners. Danny M. Lavery here, and I'm excited to announce a new live show this spring in my brand new hometown of Brooklyn. We'll have a special guest for a fun and lively conversation dissecting reader questions about relationships, home, work, and more. And I hope I see lots of you there. The show is Thursday, April 23rd at the Bell House. For more information and tickets, go to slate.com slash live. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Caitlin Greenwich, the author of the novel We Love You, Charlie Freeman. She has written for The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, Vogue, Glamour, Elle, The Virginia Quarterly Review, and other places. And she lives in Brooklyn. And now, here's our first letter. Uh, Okay, so this next letter is yours to read. And I'm sorry, I have cut it down a lot. (laughs) And I I do, I think there was, there's a reason I wanted to leave it a little bit long. Yeah. Which I will get into afterwards, but please go ahead. Subject, greener grass. Dear Prudence, I don't feel like I am living my own life. I am a fairly successful woman in her early 30s. I have a stable career, a long-term boyfriend with whom I just purchased a house, and a decent array of friends. I live in a sought-after suburban community outside one of the largest cities in America. By all qualifications, I am privileged. I should be happy and love my life, but a lot of days I feel like I'm watching as a third party as I go through the motions. Monday through Friday, it is wake up, complete morning chores, work, come home and make dinner, clean and lounge until I go to sleep and do it again. Weekends are a blur of the same surface-level interactions with the same people doing the same things expected of young, child-free people in my area. I hate it, and I feel so guilty that I hate it. I have daydreams of packing a bag and going abroad without a look back, but even in these fantasies, there is always the nagging guilt that I wouldn't even have that option if I wasn't so blessed. I know that the grass is not always greener, and I have spent the past year and a half trying to be happy with my life. My problems are a joke in comparison to so many others, but I can't change how unhappy I have become. Each day I feel like I am waiting for some cosmic event to happen that will set me on a path that leads me to my real life. It is a ridiculous and childish notion, but it grows stronger each day. I want to make a change so that I feel like I've started to live for a change rather than wait for some external force to make me happy again. But it seems absolutely crazy to throw away the life I've built and the security it brings both socially and financially. It also makes my guilt five times worse thinking that I would give up this privilege that would benefit so many others. Am I a bad person for being so dissatisfied in an otherwise successful life? I've spent over a decade getting to where I am now just thinking about the sheer amount of time and effort I've spent on this path makes it seem like it is too late to try something new without everything else being a waste. I want a family eventually, and I know that since I'm now in my 30s, there is a ticking clock on that particular goal. 
Do I have time to start again and still be a mother after starting over? Should I stay? Should I continue to try to find happiness in the mundane and stop being so maudlin? I am a mess of guilt and unhappiness and the smallest, most fanciful shard of hope that maybe there is something more in this life. I want to believe that living a life you love is more than just a fever dream, but I am scared that this is the best I'll ever get, and I'm just wasting it being an observer to my own life. Is there really more out there? So part of the reason I, I wanted to leave this at the length it is, is not because I think like, oh, let's let's laugh at the letter writer. But oh, like, no. I, I just want the letter writer, if if you're listening, to think about like, this boils down to essentially, am I allowed to move out of the suburbs if I would like to live somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And you have written this much trying to bludgeon yourself into staying because you think both like – Everyone in the world wants to live in the suburbs, and so it's your responsibility to exist in everyone else's fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that also, like, you're you're somehow hurting other people or letting them down. And it's just like, you. this is literally just a question of, like, I think I'd prefer to live in the city and, like, go out more often. Mm-hmm. That's a very understandable question. And the answer is just, of course you should. Yeah. Um, I felt a lot of empathy with this letter writer because I, I just I feel like this is like a very I feel like a lot of people have this inside them, this sort of question, or at least I do some oftentimes. Um, and I think that the letter writer perhaps should uh, start to feel a little bit at ease with this discomfort that they're feeling and sort of follow that discomfort with a little bit of curiosity about where that might lead them. Like I was trying to think like practically, like what would you do when you sort of have this existential question? And for me, I think um, maybe sort of writing down uh, sort of a list of of the things that you would and could are interested in doing yeah. if you just sort of let the guilt part out of it yeah. and uh, start figuring out what are those things I would actually like to work towards? Because the daydreams that you have are sort of vague that you that are in this letter right now. It's sort of just like packing a bag going abroad without a chance of looking back. And that could mean anything. That could go sort of anywhere. And so I think starting to really map out and trace what would those desires look like in in reality if I could go into those places um, can help it feel more concrete and can hopefully st- help to focus your energy away from just sort of the the guilt over this. Like that's what I was struck most was the the guilt, the, the guilt coming up over and over again. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading this letter, I was sort of thinking about like this word privilege and so and like how that word is really great for describing some things and really inaccurate for sort of describing other things. Right. And uh, I wonder what would happen if you sort of put that word aside when you're thinking about your issues here and your problems and and focused on what sort of your actual desires and wants are. Right. Because the thing is, like, you have the life that you have. Right. No amount of feeling guilty about it is going to change that. Yeah. The guilt is doing nothing. Feeling guilty about it doesn't somehow then make absolve you of living that life or the, the relative privilege you have to other people. And... And and specifically because the privilege that you're re- referencing to is sort of free-floating and you're not really sort of connecting it to any specific system or whatever, I, I, I'm, I wonder what that actually is doing for you to focus on that. Right. Yeah. So I, I agree. I think writing some of this stuff down is a great idea. I, I always value uh, talking to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't say what feels most crucial to you, whether it's ending the relationship with your boyfriend, getting rid of the property that you co-own, um, quitting the job. 
um, getting out of the suburbs, it might be helpful to list like in what order yeah. these things matter to you. Yeah. Because maybe the boyfriend would want to come with. Yeah. Uh, maybe you don't want him to come with. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's number one of the things to get rid of. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You are allowed to break up with nice people who care about you. Right. Like, I, I think sometimes, especially when I hear from women who are like, but he's a good person. It's just like, fine. Mm-hmm. Many people are good. Mm-hmm. If that meant you owed them lifelong relationships, you would never get to do anything else. Right. So then all you owe them is like a, a as kind and respectful a breakup as possible, which mm-hmm. is mostly just, I want to break up. I'm really sorry that this hurts you, but it's what I want. Yeah. And I would also just add like to this question of privilege, like it is helpful to acknowledge that even someone who is living the life that we're all told that we're supposed to want cannot want that thing. Like that's a good piece of just knowledge to have out in the air that like these lives that we're told everybody is supposed to want are maybe not as fulfilling on the inside. So that might be another way to sort of think about it and think about some of the the un, the guilt that you have about having these emotions, um, if that makes any sort of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I think really planning these things out, listing priorities, really sort of tackling this and, and um, pushing your energies that way can uh, help resolve some of this. Right. Also, just like for whatever it's worth, like the life that you describe, you know, this privilege that would benefit so many others, like not a lot. Of- I don't think everybody is like, I think there are a lot of people, like maybe they would appreciate the job security or the property ownership, Mm -hmm. but I I don't think everybody would be like thrilled to be in a heterosexual relationship in the suburbs. (laughs) Like I would would do everything within my power to jump out of your life if someone placed me in it. And I don't say that like because your life is inherently bad. It's just, I would hate that. People want different things. So I don't think that there's anything maudlin about this. I I think Mm -hmm. it will be helpful like, as you kind of list the priorities, if you can get a sense of like, I'd like to, you know, take my job remote and do freelance work and travel, or Mm -hmm. I'd like to keep my job. I just want to live in an apartment in a city. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I want to, you know, take a year's leave and here's how I'll afford it. And here's the fields that I think I could reliably get a job in when I get back, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, But yeah, make a plan. I I would say don't, don't hear this and then go dump everything tomorrow. Yeah. Um, But you know, you can absolutely break up with your boyfriend, even if he's nice, even if it's inconvenient, even if it makes co-owning a house yeah. tough. People do it. Um, you can move. You can quit your job. Um, uh, you know, you say you want a family eventually. I, I can't guarantee what that would look like or what will happen there. Mm-hmm. All I can tell you is that right now, if you were to start a family, yeah, I think you'd be 10 times more miserable. Exactly. 100 uh, percent. Oh, and then also I would just add to that as you are going along this sort of figuring out what needs to change, these feelings will continue to linger. So I think allowing space to have feelings beyond sort of feeling guilty about feeling bad or loving your life, you know, making a huge life change brings up a lot of different emotions and um I think part of the charting of what you want next is maybe also charting and acknowledging those emotions and starting to couple away what you feel from what Mm -hmm. you think you should be feeling or what you think other people think you should be feeling. I think that's so helpful. I think especially, too, because some of the problems that you talk about, like doing chores, Mm -hmm. making food for yourself, cleaning up in your personal space, like the acts of self-replication are required no matter where you go. Mm -hmm. So that will follow you around no matter where you go. Mm -hmm. And, And I think it would also be useful to consider whatever moves you decide to make next. And again, I urge you to take those steps. I think you should break up with your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I think you should sell that house. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you get half that money and you can afford to quit your job for six months and you think there's a decent chance you'll get rehired later, I think you should take that risk. Yeah. But 
I don't think you should do it on the expectation that that you'll be happy then mm-hmm. so much as like I would rather have the problems that come with a riskier life. Mm-hmm. Those problems sound better to me than the problems I currently have. Yeah. I might not feel incredible and thrilled every single day, mm-hmm. but I would take those problems over the current ones. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Um, And maybe consider transition. I just want to throw that out there. You say you feel like an observer (laughs) in your own life. It doesn't necessarily mean you would benefit from, you know, changing your name and going on HRT. Mm -hmm. But throw it on the list. See how it It sounds. It might be on the list. Exactly. What if my name were Robert? Mm -hmm. Would I enjoy that? Would I hate it? What if it was Chaz? Yeah. I don't know. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Explore. (laughs) (laughs) As long as we're thinking about new things. All right, next letter's all you. Okay, subject, punishments for picky eating. Dear Prudence, I recently visited my son and was disturbed by how he and his wife dealt with mealtime. They insist their kids try foods the kids don't want to eat, to the point of threatening withholding dessert, TV time, or even telling their son that the whole family wouldn't be able to go out to dinner the following night if he didn't eat a piece of vegetable from some dish. These arguments last for 20 to 30 minutes and ruin dinner for me. These foods are in addition to a meal the kids otherwise enjoy. My son thinks I didn't do this to him because he wasn't a picky eater. Not true. I just didn't promote this battle with him. Almost all kids are picky eaters who grow up to enjoy a variety of foods if left alone to learn about them. It's one thing to put a few peas on their plates and encourage them to eat them. It's another to force them. I live too far away to see my son more than a couple times a year. I know if I try to discuss this with him and his wife, he follows her lead on all child-rearing matters, she will be angry at me. Do I have to just leave the table when this starts, sit and endure? My son kept glancing my way and smiling while chastising his son as though seeking my approval. When my grandson said he didn't want to eat the food, my son told him he didn't care if he wanted to or not. I find this heartbreaking. Um, okay, that does sound really heartbreaking. (laughs) I am sort of struck by this question of uh, your son's understanding of of childhood development and sort of raising kids in general, and how much you to talk about it in general, even outside of this particular issue. Right. Um, So you say that you don't live close by so you're rarely in sort of face-to-face contact with him but i presume that you guys probably keep in touch uh you know via calls or text or whatever and i wonder if if the goal here is really to um sort of stop what you see as as a potentially harmful parenting thing and also to help out your grandchildren i wonder what would happen if you approach this less as as um you're doing this wrong and more of can we have sort of a longer long-term, ongoing conversation about what it is to raise a kid Mm -hmm. and what does it mean to raise a kid. Um, Because it seems like your son is sort of operating under some, what you even yourself say, as some um, disillusions about his own childhood, like assuming that he was a perfect eater or something like that with you. And I think as much as you can sort of low pressure talk about your actual parenting struggles with him, you can start to open those lines of communication so that there's that level of trust so that when you do come up and say, hey, you need to knock this off, you have some uh, standing ground to do this as opposed to um, sort of just coming in guns blazing. Yeah, I, I'm with you there because I think it, it is always tricky. Like this sounds like, first of all, just exhausting. Yeah. Like they're wasting half an hour of their own time yes, every night at 30 dinner. minutes. That's a long time. I, I just feel <laughs> yeah. like good gravy. 
Yeah. Um, that's that's just so much fucking work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also one of those things like you kind of don't like I, I could imagine a kid kind of growing out of the picky eating phase and later remembering like, God, that was so annoying when mom and dad did that. I can also imagine a kid, you know, later saying like, yes, that was when my issues with food yes, began exactly. because every meal was a fucking battle. <laughs> right. Um, so, right. you know, I, I don't want to put this on the same level as like something abusive, but mm-hmm. it is like exhausting and potentially like could make, you know. It, it, it would be really good if they could let this go. Mm-hmm. And, and so to that end, I do think the first conversation to have would be with your son mm-hmm. because that's the easiest point of entry for you. And I think to say, like, I love you. I know no parent wants to hear from their own parents, like, that they're doing the wrong thing. So I I, I, I will ask for your forbearance here. And I, I only say this out of, like, love and concern. Mm-hmm. When you were a kid, you were actually a pretty picky eater. The reason that we didn't have half-hour-long battles about it every night was because I decided that, like, you were reasonably healthy. Mm-hmm. You would eventually grow to like more vegetables, and it was not worth having a daily fight. Yeah. That's why. Mm-hmm. But you were just as picky as your kid. Mm-hmm. One thing that was really hard for me during our trip was how every night you guys fought with your kids relentlessly about this. I really encourage you to let it go. I think your kids will grow out of it. I think it will make it easier for them to eventually try new foods when it doesn't feel like a life or death battle that they're pitched in against you. I hope you two reconsider. Yeah. I would put it in that way and then, like, see if that makes a difference. And if it doesn't, I would consider engaging more strenuously with the both of them. But that's where I would start. Yeah, I'm uh, focusing on the part of your letter where you say that um, when this was happening, he kept sort of looking at you as if for approval. And I think that's the entryway in. Yeah. Um, you know, if if this is really sort of his way of thinking, this is sort of the a, a way to show you of what a great parent I, I am, this is also a way for you to sort of start those conversations uh, specifically about this thing, but also opening this up to be sort of like, let's talk about, from my experience of parenting you, the things that we do as a parent that are can be helpful, the mistakes that we can make as a parent because we're going to make mistakes, um, and what it means to um, sort of uh, come, come back from that. And I think, too, to like make it clear that you – like, you know they love their kids. Yeah. You know that they're overall doing great. Mm-hmm. Like, some some of this stuff by itself, like, you know, no dessert until you eat your vegetables or no TV. Yeah. That doesn't strike me as, like, on the same level as, like, we're not going to go out to dinner tomorrow if you don't try broccoli. That, to yeah. me, feels like, Jesus Christ, like, that's a lot. Yeah, or or just the amount of time that's being spent around it, too. And I think maybe stressing for your son, too, that— this question of sort of like a battle, like battle of the wills mm. style of parenting, maybe sort of talking about some alternatives of opening that up, that parenting, especially a young child, can feel like it's a constant battle of the will. But I think reminding him and his partner as someone who's on the other side of parenting that there are other modalities <laughs> can be really helpful in terms of giving them, making them feel like they have other tools besides this sort of uh do what I say immediately, uh, throw down that that seems to be their style in this case. Yeah. And if you have these conversations and nothing changes in future visits, you know, that's a tricky one because y- you don't want to make it worse for the kids. Yeah. But you also, I, I can really understand why you would feel frustrated and, and inclined to want to try to work around it. Mm-hmm. Maybe on your visits, you can offer to make dinner or oh. take the kids out so the parents can have alone time. And that's, that's great one way to kind of get through it. You can absolutely also just like quietly say, 
not, not not like whisper, but like if it starts to get out of hand and just say like, it's really hard for me to watch you treat your kids like this. I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. I, I think that's an okay thing to do if you try other things and they don't work. Yeah. 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 If it's hitting, uh, you know, uh, minute 37 of, <laughs> of the argument that you're hearing, I think it's totally within your rights to do so. Yeah. But I, I do also want to encourage don't match your kid in intensity. Mm-hmm. So I, I think be careful and sparing about your use of words like heartbreaking um, because I think that can set their backs up. So this is a purely strategic advice, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying this because I think you'd be wrong to call it heartbreaking, mm-hmm. but I would say save that for like if things really, really escalate. And I think just start with like, I think it would be better and easier for all of you if you did this. Yeah, I encourage you to do this. You seem to be misinformed about your own childhood. Allow me to enlighten you. Yeah. I love you. I get the parenting is super hard and it's so frustrating yeah. to see your kids not eat the stuff you make for them. But like, that's the nature of kids. Yeah. Um, and good luck. And, you know, if if you do everything within your power and all that happens is like eventually your grandkids feel a lot more comfortable eating with you than their own parents, that would be sad, but at least you would be able to offer them an alternative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Food is a battlefield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401 371 Dear. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.